0: Speaking of uh, hymns, I think y'all know the, the great hymn, that line opens. It says, And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? That, that's a lot of high-sounding English that basically asks this question. How is it that that my life is prospered, my life is bettered, my life is advanced? By, by the death, by the crucifixion, by the violent death, of my Savior. I, I mean, I'm the one that caused the pain. I'm the one that caused the problem. And, and He gets the death. He He pursued the death that belonged to me. He pursued the death that owned me. Man, what kind of love is that? What an amazing love that, that my God, my Creator, died For me. What an amazing love. That great hymn was written by Charles Wesley. As I read that, as we sing that, I get the feeling that Charles was absolutely, utterly overwhelmed with how great God loved him. It sounds to me like he never really got over it. Boy, that's cool, isn't it? I mean, what a great experience it is to be loved like that. Now, we talk a lot about the love of God. Man, God loves you. That's, that's not news. We expect to hear that in the church. God loves you. And, and I think we believe that, don't we? We, we believe that God loves us. But I wonder, does it, does it impact us? Does it influence us? Does it overwhelm us? Like it did Charles. I don't know, I, I'm going to say probably not for most of us. And that's too bad. We, we, we lose out. We miss because of that. We, we miss the, the excitement. We miss the energy. We miss the courage and the strength that comes from being loved like that. We, we miss out on that. I think like Charles, Paul was overwhelmed at how much God loved him. I think like Charles, Paul never got over that. And we saw last week in the opening of Paul's letter to the Ephesians that same energy, that same courage, that same strength that comes from being loved like that. And remember, Paul wrote that from prison. Man, we're talking about a love that that rises above, a love that is bigger than any circumstance. That we might be in right now. Who would not want to be loved like that? But you know, God did not, does not love Paul and Charles any more, any differently than He loves you and He loves me. So why does it appear? I don't know that maybe their experience is different from ours. What what made them so much more overwhelmed than it seems to be having an impact? On our lives. You know, I think it's a choice they made. I think they chose to sink, to sink their life into what Paul calls his marvelous love. What do I mean by sink? I mean, God's love was it. That, that was their life. They, they thought about it. They dwelled on it. They prayed over it. They lived it. They studied it. And then they woke up the next day and started over. Their life was all about how God loved them. And of course, the more they studied, the more they thought on it, the more they grew in that understanding, the more they grew in that knowledge, the more they felt loved, and they just became more and more overwhelmed. Ephesians chapter 1 to 3, the first half of this letter, is going to give you and I kind of the same opportunity that Paul and Charles had. We're going to have an opportunity here now for a number of weekends to be looking at how God loves you. Not not you the mass, not, not you the whole, but you the individual. How God sees personally you and loves you. And hopefully we'll have an opportunity to be overwhelmed by that. It is amazing. You know, our, our passage today, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 to 14, in itself is is kind of an illustration of just ha- of being overwhelmed, of being amazed. E- Ephesians 1, 3 to 14, is one sentence. That's 12 verses. It's one sentence. Now, you'll look down at your translation and you'll say, well, no, wait a minute. There's a period. There's a period. There's a a whole lot more than one sentence here. Yeah, in our English translation, they provide some periods. They provide some English grammar. But in the Greek language, and by the way, this is bad grammar in Greek too. In the Greek language, in the original text, verse 3 all the way to the end of verse 14 is one sentence. It's 202 words of, un- of flowing praise to God. It's like Paul got so excited thinking about what God's love had accomplished, what God's love had done in his life. He-, he got so excited he couldn't stop and put a period. He-, he just got rolling and it just came and it came and it came. It is amazing. Let's dive into it. Let's read Ephesians chapter 1. I'll begin reading in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens, in Christ. For He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love He predestined us to be adopted, through Jesus Christ for Himself, according to His favor and will, to the praise of His glorious grace that He favored us with in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to the good pleasure that He planned in Him For the administration on the days of the days of the fulfillment to bring everything together in the Messiah, both things in heaven and things on earth in him, in him, we were also made his inheritance, predestined according to the purpose of the one who works out everything in agreement with the decision of his will so that we who had already put our hope in the Messiah might bring praise to his glory. In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in Him, when you believed, can you see a a grammar teacher just going nuts by now? In this thing, in Him, when you believed, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He is the down payment of our inheritance for the redemption of the possession to the praise of His glory. Boy, that's one long sentence, isn't it? And a lot there. I mean, there's a whole lot more going on than just 200-some words. There's a lot there. Now, you know, some simple grammar here. We'll say fifth-grade grammar because that's kind of that fifth-grade is the the thing on TV right now. But fifth-grade grammar, when you're looking at a real complex sentence like this, find the simple sentence. In the most complex sentence, there is the noun, there's the verb, and there's the direct object. There is the simple sentence. The simple sentence in this whole thing is those first four words in verse 3. Blessed be the God. That's the sentence. That's what Paul is saying. Everything else after that is an elaboration. It's an explanation on why blessed be the God. That phrase, blessed be God, simply means blessed. Praise be to God. Applause be to God. Worship be to God. That is the purpose of our lives. That is the one goal and purpose of our lives. As a matter of fact, in this passage, what Paul is going to do, what we're going to see here in a moment, is three major ways that God has worked in your life to save you. Three ways that God shows His love for you. For you individually. And then at the end of explaining that, it gives the reason God did that. And you see that reason at the end of verse 6. You see it at the end of verse 12 and you see it at the end of verse 14. It says it three times in a row to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. Your life is for the praise of his glory. That is the purpose of our lives. That's why we were created. If your life has any other purposes, all purposes, all things in our life are to feed that one purpose. If you've got any other purposes. Your life's on a collision with God. Sooner or later, you will collide with Him and why He made you. I would highly suggest you not take a course that puts you on a collision with God. He wins. Every time, He wins. Now, this is a big passage, and it covers a lot of things. There's a lot of, I'm sure as you read, you saw a lot of weighty concepts in this. I want to tell you right now, I don't know if this is a confession or what, I am not going to be doing a full, and some may even say a fair treatment. Of this, passage. this is a, a passage I struggled with this one probably more than any one other in my series. I was either going to do this passage in one sermon or about six sermons. And I went with the one basically trying to grab a hold of these three key ideas that is communicated in this one sentence that will help us to understand what Paul is communicating and help us move on in the book of Ephesians. What we want to do is sink our lives into God's love. So that our lives are motivated to get in line with that purpose that God has for us. So that our lives, like Paul, like Charles, are overwhelmed. We know what it's like to be overwhelmed by the love of God. And Paul gives us here three things to motivate us. Three reasons that our lives would come up, become about the praise of His glory. First of all, we praise Him because His love selected us. Us. We praise him because his love selected us. Secondly, we praise him because his love sacrificed for us. And thirdly, we praise him because his love sealed us. Now, you look at those three works there. I kind of use that generic word God. But actually, those three things are defined by the Trinity, It is the Godhead, the entire Godhead has come to love you. The entire Godhead has come to reach you because it is the Father, God the Father that did the selecting. It is God the Son who did the sacrificing and it is God the Holy Spirit who did the sealing. The entire Godhead is involved in loving you. Now, let's think about this. This first idea, the father selected you, the father selected you before the world was created and he selected you for a reason. He selected you to adopt you to to live a holy and blameless life for his glory. Now, folks, that's a big sentence right there. That's a huge sentence. That sentence right there answers the questions of your life. Why am I here? That's the answer. What am I supposed to be doing? Where is my life supposed to be going? That's the answer. You were selected. And by that selection, you now have the opportunity to live a life that counts. By that selection, you have the opportunity to know your Creator and to praise and to applaud the One who gave you life, the One who sustains life, the One who enriches life. By that selection, you can do that. Isn't that awesome? Hey, we were selected. It's good to be selected, isn't it? Don't you like to be picked? Don't you like somebody that sees you and says, I want you? Now, of course, this passage and this idea also causes some confusion. As a matter of fact, these two words happening here, that word for choosing literally is the word elect. And so these two words, election and predestination, for some picture a God that is cold, that is calculating, Maybe even a God that is random, that it wasn't really personal. He just randomly picked people. Boy, nothing could be further from the truth. With all that there is to understand about these two words, these two concepts, I want you to understand two words. Look at the beginning of verse five. It says, in love. In love. Love was the driver of God's choosing. Love was the driver of God's predetermining. It was not cold. It was not calculated, nor was it random. That word to to predetermine, it means to has the idea of an intimate knowledge. In other words, you were selected personally. You were selected individually. And it was love, not not something unfair, not something cold. When humanity comes to understand and we will one day. When we come to understand the fullness of God's plan and how God works, we're not going to point to some part of what God did and cry out, unfair! We're going to cry out, how loving! All of humanity will praise Him for His love. It's love that drove this process. Not only love, but blessing. It says here that we were blessed with every, not most, not a lot, you were blessed with every spiritual Blessing, you know, we think when we think about blessings, we think a lot about physical blessings, don't we? Prosperity, health, uh, other things uh, of this world. We think about these things that come to us. Physical blessing is something that God does. We don't get all physical blessings, do we? No, we don't. If you do have all physical blessings, I'd like to talk to you after the service. You can help me pay for something. Now, we don't have all physical blessings and we have we all have different levels of blessing, don't we? And that's all got by God's decision. Scripture says very clearly he determines who has what and what levels and all of these different things. So so physical blessings is a lot different. And you want physical blessings, blessings, though they may be, are not always good. As a matter of fact, you can go to Deuteronomy chapter eight blessings from God and they come with a warning. Because, you see, our human nature, we have a tendency to take these physical blessings from God and then replace God. We replace God with the very things He's blessed us with. So there's a little bit of a danger there with physical blessings. You know what? With spiritual blessings, there's no warning. And we have every single one of them. You have every single spiritual blessing there is. Now, whether you enjoy it. Whether you live it, whether you know about it, it's another question. But you have every spiritual blessing that God provides. And those blessings, where do you find them? Are they in a closet somewhere? No, it says they're there they're in Christ. You remember me saying last week that, that in Ephesians, we're going to hear over and over and over, it is in Him. As a matter of fact, you you heard a lot of those in hymns in just this one sentence. Everything God wants for you, everything God has for you is found in Him. It's found in Christ. If I'm not in Him, it doesn't matter what else I'm doing. I will not discover what God has for my life, what God wants to do in my life. It's found in Him. So the key here is that it is love and it is blessing that drives the choosing and the predetermining. Love and blessing. Election is not God taking this whole mass of people. Okay, this group, boom, they go to heaven. Done deal. This group, they go to hell. Boom, done deal. That is never how election is communicated anywhere in Scripture. As a matter of fact, election doesn't even stand alone as a a, a stand alone. It's a part of a process. And we see a lot of that process outlined, mapped out right here in our passage It says in verse 4, the process of saving us starts with an election. In verse 5, predestination. In verse 7, sacrificing. Now, the election and the predestination don't stand alone. If that's all there was, we're still unholy. We're still unworthy of God's love. No, there had to be a sacrifice. The election and the predestination were conditioned upon a sacrifice. But then we get to verse 13 and we see that there is a hearing and a believing. And then it concludes, and I've got verse 14, I believe, on the PowerPoint. It's actually the end of verse 13. There is the sealing. Now, we've said we're seeing the entire Trinity. We're seeing the whole Godhead at work in this. And yet, right there in the midst of the sovereign love of God, right there in the midst of the sovereign work of God, is what? Our hearing and our believing. So, this is just, there's an entire process that goes here. Election does not stand alone picking and choosing heaven and hell before anything else has been done. That's not what election is. The key thing I want you to see in this is this God sees you, He sees you. Selection is intensely personal, and it is intensely loving. My life will become more and more and more about the praise of God, which is His purpose for me. Remember, I want to get in line with where God's going. I want to get in line with what God is doing. I want to get in line with how and why He has created me. And that'll happen the more and more I think on His great love that selected me, me as an individual. Now, let's move on to the son. Let's move on to the second member of the Trinity. The son sacrificed for you. Now, God, the father selected you to be holy, but the son sacrificed to make it so. You see, you and I, we made a choice not to know God. We made a choice not to walk with God. We made a choice not to be holy. You say, whoa, whoa, what time? When did I make that choice? I don't remember making that choice. Every time we sin. Every time we sin. And God gives us that freedom of choice, but with that choice comes a penalty. With that choice, we become the property of sin. Sin's now my nature. Sin is now who I am. We talked about that last week. Sinner versus being a saint. Outside of Christ, I'm owned by sin and I am owned by death. That is the result. That is the product of that choice to sin. And I am now entirely unholy. I am entirely unworthy of God, of His presence, and of His love. But He loved anyway. And so His Son came and He took on a death that belonged to me. It wasn't His death. It wasn't His sin. It wasn't His choices. No, it was His love that took that on my behalf. A payment I couldn't fulfill. A payment I couldn't make. And Jesus literally purchased me, not humanity, you, you as an individual. He bought you back from death. He bought you back from sin. That's what his blood did. And that blood, which, by the way, that's what that word redemption means, when it says he redeemed you or you were redeemed. That's Jesus buying you back from sin and death. And that blood is the same basis by which you're forgiven, You know, you've heard me say before, folks, when we're forgiven, it's not just because we caught God on a good day. Not because he's in a good mood. It's not because he saw what a good effort you made. It's not because he said, oh, I'll just overlook that. No, if God did that, that wouldn't be holy, would it? That wouldn't be just if he pretended like there was no sin in our lives. That wouldn't be right. No, when he forgives us, it's because a payment, a legal payment has been made. The court of heaven has been satisfied. Jesus sacrificed on our behalf so that we could be forgiven. So that we could be made holy. So that we could be a child of God. And then you know what God did? This is really cool. Seven, verse 7 to 9 says, God let us know. You see these words here, Insight. And understanding. You see that word mystery. I like that word mystery. That word mystery means the exact opposite in the Greek language as it does in the English language. It's kind of odd that way. It, you know, you think about it, In English, when we say something's a mystery, that means it's hard to figure out. It, it's hard to understand. I, you know, I've got to piece together clues. I've got to study. I've got to research. And hopefully I can solve this thing. Well, in the Greek language, mystery means something that you know. A mystery is something that is known that you have the knowledge of it. But the reasons it's a mystery is you wouldn't know it had not God revealed it. I mean, think about the, the knowledge we have today in humanity. You know, what? knowledge breeds knowledge, doesn't it? We get a little bit of knowledge and we step through that door and all of a sudden that opens up our ability to discover more knowledge. We get a little bit of technology and all of a sudden that opens up more doors for technology. And humanity just keeps growing and growing in its knowledge. Do you know that had God not revealed it, humanity would have never grown to the knowledge of understanding I am loved by God? In my own, I'm unholy. On my own, I am condemned. On my own, I am totally separated from God. But that God loved me anyway, and that God came after me. He selected me. He came after me, and He purchased me out of that condition that I put myself in. He did that. Do you know, we, we would never, there's not enough research to do. There's not There's not a piece of papri to find. There's not a, a a tomb or a pyramid to look under. And oh, look, we've discovered God actually loves us. No, He had to let us know. Lovingly, He let us know. Do you realize what this means to our lives? Because you see, in our soul, we know there's a God. A lot of people spend a lot of life trying to deny that. They're only fighting their own soul. We know there's a God. We know we have to answer to Him. And we know we can't. And so what do we do? We create religion. We give ourselves something to do that says, I I think I'm fixing this problem. I I think I'm solving this issue. And we start doing things. But you know what? It's a total waste of life because we'll never get there. We can't clean it up enough. If God had not revealed this, I would live my life driven by guilt and by fear. But because God has revealed, I can live my life now driven by love. It's a love relationship. That's what I'm about. Not meeting an angry God and hoping I've satisfied guilt. Man, it's a whole lot better way to live. And we know that because God let us know. We would never discover it on our own. And we need to know what God has done for our mind and our understanding. Because this is what gives us the ability to sink our life in His love. And more and more of my life will become about the praise of God, which is His purpose for us. When I think, when I dwell, when I meditate on that love that sacrificed for me. I know a lot of us know that that old song, that great song, when He was on the cross, I was on His mind. You know what, folks, that's not just a a nice, warm feeling. That's not just a great thought. According to Ephesians 1, 3-14, that's a fact. When he was bleeding, when he was suffering, when he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was with your face in his eyes. And it was with your name on his lips. He selected you. He sacrificed for you as an individual. You're loved. And then the third member of the Trinity stepped up and the Holy Spirit sealed you. You see, when we came to that understanding of what Jesus did for us on the cross and and God's love came to fruition in our lives, then the Holy Spirit sealed us in this love. Now, why is that so important? Why is that so significant? Well, let's, let's think first. That word sealing, what does it mean? Actually, it means four different things. They're all wonderful. The the, the word to seal, when something was sealed, it was locked tight. It was secured. It was protected. You and I are sealed. We're locked tight. We are protected in this relationship that Jesus has bought for us. This relationship that we have with God. It's been protected by the Holy Spirit. That word sealed means to authenticate. You know what? On my own, I'm not a saint. I'm a sinner, but Christ's blood took care of that. And now I have been authenticated as a saint. That word sealed means a certificate of genuineness. I am genuinely a child of God. There's no faking. There's no pretending. This is not a clean it up, make it look like it. I am genuinely a child of God. And the last meaning of that word seal means to identify ownership. They, they would pour the wax, they'd melt it, and they'd put the seal, they'd put the stamp, and that showed who owns this. My life is not owned anymore by sin. My life is not owned by death. My life is owned by the living God. His stamp of ownership is on me. Now, all of this together means, folks, we've been locked up and secured. In this relationship. By the way, I know a lot of us know that great, great passage in Romans 8. At the end of the chapter that says there is nothing, 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 nothing that can ever separate us from the love of God. Why is that? Because of how good I am? No. Because of the sealing of the Holy Spirit. It's the work of God. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that guarantees I can't lose this love. Why is that so significant? Think about love on this planet. What's more damaging to love than betrayal? What's more damaging to love than than the inability to trust? Love that fails. Love that falls short. And we're all guilty of that to some degree in our most loving relationships. You know what God does with this ceiling here? He says, my love for you will never be betrayed. My love for you will never fall short. My love for you will never fail. This love is secured. As a matter of fact, the Holy Spirit is just a down payment. He is just the first of all of the blessing and all of the inheritance that is to come into your life, beginning today and on into eternity. This has been secured by the Holy Spirit. Oh, folks, more and more of our lives will become about the greatness of God and the praise of God and the glory of God, which is His purpose for us as we think on, as we dwell on, as we meditate on that love that secured that relationship, the work of the Holy Spirit. Oh man, God's love and God's work is, is so worthy of our praise. It's so worthy of our applause. It's worthy of our being utterly overwhelmed And how deeply we're loved by God. What does all that mean? One thought. One thought alone should determine what I do and what I don't do tomorrow. One thought should define how I approach every relationship in my life. From those relationships that last six seconds to those relationships that last my whole life. One thought should guide how I deal with and approach and have attitudes about all the different situations in my life. One thought should guide my attitude on questions and and complexities and frustrations with life. One thought. I am loved by God. Holy Father, thank You so much. I I, I praise You for, for Your love that selected me. Jesus, I praise You and thank You for Your love that sacrificed for me. Holy Spirit I praise you for your love that that did something in love that that nothing on this planet can accomplish you secured that love you guaranteed it God I pray more and more of my life would be overwhelmed Lord I, I am so far from being here but I pray for that day that every moment, every relationship, every situation, everything I'm doing is being driven by one truth, that I'm loved by You. And God, I look forward today that when that happens, all of my life will applaud the God who loves me so. In Jesus' name.